In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. And so I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. Yeah, this is kind of weird. I'm embarrassed to say that one of the most uh, highly quoted Bible verses besides John 3.16 in uh, all of the Bible, and I've quoted this verse in, in sermons hundreds of times and Bible studies hundreds of times. And I've never actually done a message on this. I'm super embarrassed. But I went to In-N-Out Burger yesterday. And I, I got this uh, super special stupid hamburger because I can't eat anything. No mayonnaise, no ketchup, no french fries, no nothing. But I got the stupid cup. And the stupid cup has a verse underneath it. Did you know the In-N-Out Burger... Every package that you get has a Bible verse underneath it. Did you know that? <clears throat> well, you know that, Matt, because of all the youth group trips we made, we've stopped at In-N-Out Burger. So In-N-Out Burger started in 1948 with Rick, Rich Snyder and uh, his wife out of California. And uh, they, were, they, loved, they uh, did this thing, and they, they died, and they passed it off to their son, Rich, who in 1987 gave his life to Jesus and decided to start putting Bible verses on the bottom of cups. So on the bottom of a Coke cup is John 3.16. On the bottom of a milkshake cup is the verse for tonight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Okay, interesting. So you, anybody who's kind of involved with In-N-Out Burger, I'm from California, and I know you've got the shirts. I've seen you wearing the In-N-Out Burger shirts. Uh, you, know, we're, you know that these guys are Christians, right? And so I always thought, oh, it's this perfect Christian family. Well, it's really interesting because when Rich died, there was another brother but they couldn't give the business to the brother because he was a drug addict and he eventually died of a drug overdose. His daughter, Lindsay, inherited the family business at age 37. She's now 42. She became a three billionaire at 37 years old while she is a, a, has a drug problem and while she's going through multiple divorces. She gets divorced three times. She's involved in drugs. She's suicidal. She goes, wait, Uncle Rich and these Bible verses. She gives her life to Jesus, and now she's running a company as a 40-something. She's got, she's got billions of dollars to her name, and now she's putting Bible verses on the French fry bags and the double-double uh, boxes and everything. And so, there's, so when you go to In-N-Out Burger, it's kind of fun to see all of these Bible verses kind of obscurely hidden throughout the packages. I mean, this one here, you can, I, I honestly, lad, we could never read this, bro. I'd be like, red. What's the Bible verse? Red letters. Jesus said something. I don't know. Uh, but here, in this case, it's true. You know, but that, so you, 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 it's really exciting to see this. And you think, oh, it's this perfect Christian family. And it really, 
It's like any other family, right? We've all got our issues. We've all got our baggage. But when I thought of this topic tonight, uh, the man of God. So we're in a series called Six Pack in 60 Days. We're taking six things that if you finish the sentence, be a man of, these are the six things. And after your meeting last week, we changed one of them to man of humility because almost every group said that we should be men of humility. So we're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. Tonight, when I was thinking about what does it mean to be a man of God? Like, what does it mean to be a man? How do I break that down? I thought this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, is really important to me because we live in a society. And when I, when, tonight when I'm talking about man of God, I'm not talking about um, all the things that you do wrong. This is not a message about all of your sin in your life and the temptations that you wrestle with. This is not about that. When I think of a man of God, I don't think of the things a man struggles with. I think of a thing, the, thing, the things that a man actually is. And for me, when I look at men out there, I think of this. I think of four kind of things. Number one, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he compared to other religions and other religious leaders? Number two, what do you, how do you steward your life? Uh, in other words, how do you use your time, your talents, and your abilities? That tells me a lot about what you believe. Number three, in this day and age, I've got to say it, guys. What do you believe about what the Bible teaches about sexuality? About sex outside of the marriage covenant? About sex with other people when you're married? About same-sex relationships? What, do you, what is your view on some of these sexual... That, when, when I talk to you and you give me your view on that, I can tell you pretty much where you, what you believe about the Bible. And lastly... Who qualifies to inherit eternal life? You know, what you believe about that tells me what you really believe. So that's what we're going to be talking about. You know, how do these things align with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? And, and one of the things that troubles me is, is the church is really um, impotent. The church has little power in America right now. And when I, when I think of the statistics that are out there, it's really troublesome, you guys. Listen to this. This is a, a friend of mine, Robert Lewis. Uh, he's, he did a thing with George Barna, uh, uh, and they wrote a book called The Five Essentials to uh, Engage Today's Men. And they did a bunch of statistics with men who practice Christian faith and men who don't. And listen to what they determined. Only 37% of practicing Christian men under the age of 35, and only 50% of the men over 35 think sex outside of marriage is sin. So 70 65% of Christian practicing church-going men think, ah, oh, sex outside of marriage is fine. 33% of single practicing Christian men under 35 are living with their girlfriends, which is the exact same number as those who aren't Christians. Most uh, recent national survey of family growth done by the Center of Disease Control and Prevention uh, completed in 2019, had found that 43% of Christians between 15 and 22 said they definitely plan to live with their significant others before they're married. Christians, definitely going to do it. 53% of evangelical Protestants currently in their first marriage cohabitated with each other prior to getting married. And, and we wonder why the church has not influenced the culture the way it should have. We wonder why we uh, allow teachers to teach immorality in the public schools. We wonder why intersectionality and critical theory are the norm in our country. 
it, it's, it's, it's troublesome. And I think the reason why is we really aren't men of God. And we say we're Christians, and I think a lot of people out there are not Christians. And one of my things, I was a youth pastor for 30, 25 years, and I'm just going to tell you, if you pray a middle school prayer at camp and you think you're sliding into heaven, man, you need to read the Bible. You just need to read the Bible. So here's what I believe a man of God does out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And guys, I hope I do this justice. This sermon, there's so much depth to this thing. And I don't know God's heart. His ways are not my ways. I don't know who's going to heaven. But I do know what the Bible says, and I, I want to draw out what I'm seeing from Scripture. Father, thanks for tonight. Illuminate our eyes. Bring conviction where needed. Bring encouragement where needed. Bring repentance where needed. Bring faith where needed. God, I pray that you'd move me out of the way. Strike my opinions and send them to hell. May only the things that I speak out of your truth be remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. Proverbs was written by Solomon around 950 B.C. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So let's look at, let's look at verse 5 because the man, the man of God, when we look at verse 5, Verse 5 teaches us who the man of God believes in. So we, before we believe in something, we've got to identify what we're going to believe in, right? I believe in this cup. Let's identify. So let's identify God here, right? So the, 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 uh, Solomon says, trust in the Lord. Now you notice something about the word Lord. What, what do you notice about the word Lord? Weird. It's something weird about that word. All caps. It's all caps because in Hebrew, that is what is called the tetragrammaton. It is four Hebrew letters. You read Hebrew right to left. The first letter is a little hook. It looks like a little quote, a little comma. It's yod. And then the next one is a longer thing. That's vav. No, I'm sorry. It's yod. And then hey, which is like a kind of a weird boxy looking kind of half box. And then vav and then hey. There are no vowels in Hebrew, so you have to guess at the pronunciation. So the two guesses that people go with are Yahweh or Jehovah, right? So this word, if you were a Hebrew, was so precious, they never actually said it. When they were reading the Old Testament, they would get to the word Yahweh or the Tetragrammaton or Jehovah, whatever you want to say, and they would just say the name. They would never actually read this. This word was so special, they didn't actually ever say it. And the word actually means to be or to exist. It is the picture of the God. So when Solomon says trust in the Lord, he's saying trust in Yahweh. Trust in the God, the maker of heaven and earth. Does that make sense? So this is the God he's talking about. Okay, okay. Now this gets kind of cool to me. I, I nerd out here a little bit. So I got in a fight with my Hebrew professor because he wasn't teaching the Bible in the Hebrew, and I got in a fight with a Hebrew professor several years ago over this right here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1.26, 
God said, let us make man in our image. Okay, remember that. In John 1.1, John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, the darkness cannot comprehend it. Now this is really interesting. The third word of the Bible is a Hebrew word. It's not the fourth, because yours says, in the beginning, God. But the third word is actually, in the Hebrew, is the word God. And it's actually not the word Yahweh. It is the word Elohim. This word is a beautiful word to me. Because if you look at, if you look at first of all, just break down the first part of Elohim, El. El in Hebrew is the generic word for God, small g God. In other words, you get, you get um, things like El Roy, God the King. Or you've heard of the term El Shaddai. Amy Grant had a song about this years ago. God Almighty. Or El Adonai, which is God is the Lord. It's this generic word. If you say they worshiped foreign gods, you'd have small g, L, right? L. Now, in the middle of that is the word Eloah. Eloah is where the Muslims get Allah. Eloah is the God, like the one God. It speaks of a monotheistic God, the God of the universe, the one God, the capital G God. So you have El and you have Eloah. And then you have Elohim. Really interesting. Elohim is the Hebrew masculine for God. Do you get it? Elohim is the Hebrew masculine plural for God. So in the third word of the Hebrew Bible, you have the Trinity right there. So when we say trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh, trust in the one who is from the beginning who created everything, we have to go back to the beginning where we see in the beginning God, Elohim, and right there is the Trinity. So this is what Solomon is talking about. Does this make sense? This is kind of nerding out. I'm not, I know I'm nerding out. But to me, this is super cool. So I'm going to move by my nerdiness and say that this, especially when you look at Solomon writing this in 950 B.C. and then Moses writing the book of Genesis in 1300 B.C., they're all pointing to the Savior, Jesus, in the first verse of the Bible. <laughs> That's just awesome. Okay, okay. So, so that is who the man of God believes in. Here's how the man of God trusts. Look at this. It says, trust in the Lord, and here's how he trusts with all your heart. Now I struggle. So, so Solomon is writing a uh, proverb here. So Proverbs are fairly poetic a lot of hebrew parallelism where lines explain other lines and this type of thing so if you really really dive into this you realize with all your heart is a redundant statement because to trust something is to do it with all your heart right uh, trust when my wife doesn't trust me trust me she doesn't trust me with all her heart when she trusts me she trusts me with all of her heart the man of God understands the redundancy of trusting the Lord with all your heart because trust is a moment-by-moment -moment sacrament. In the dictionary, trust is to have a confidence in something, to depend on it. 
to expect with assurance, to give belief to, to place in the care of another person or another situation deemed as safe. Trust is relational, not positional. It's a relational term. I'm going to trust in, in, in this case, it's relational. In Deuteronomy 6.5, we have the Shema. I talked to you about this a couple weeks ago. Here, Shema in Hebrew means listen up, here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, the Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see the relational component there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus, in asked, what are the great commandments? He says, the second greatest commandment, or the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So he's taking trust, and he's making it relational, not positional. So, so Dan, I, I need to send you a picture because I took my boys hunting. I've got three sons and one Filipino, my Filipino adopted son. So all four of us went duck hunting this weekend. And uh, man, we shot a five-man limit. It was, it was super epic. I sat in the blind with my son Darby, the same blind you hunted out of. There's a blind at that pond now. There's a blind there now with his dog, Honey. Honey's a one-and-a-half-year-old little uh, golden retriever lab mix. Great dog, super birdie. But he's trying to treat, teach her and train her. She naturally retrieves, but what she doesn't naturally do is trust him. And every time she trusted him, she got a reward. And she got a bird. And she got praise. And every time she didn't trust him, she got a shock. And she got Darby running out to chase ducks and yelling at her the whole time she was doing it, that she was disobeying. And so she's learning. And it's really funny, if you have a, a bird dog, they really want to please their master right? She really wants to please her master, but she's immature and she's young and she needs training and she needs guidance and she needs help because as much as she wants to please her master, she's got this thing inside of her called her will. And her will is telling her to trust herself and not her master who's back in the duck blind who she can't see. Oh yeah. Get it? You guys get that? That was well played, huh, Gabe? To trust your master that you don't see. It is so hard to trust our master with all of our heart every day of our life, moment by moment. One of the greatest struggles I have as a man is to trust God every moment of the day. And when I do, things go really, really good for me. And when I don't, they kind of suck. And so this is important. So to trust in the Lord with all your heart but, you know, trust is something or someone, to trust something or someone, in order for me to put my trust into that thing or that person, something has, because I didn't before, right? So honey, the, the, the little dog, she has to reject something, her will, to trust in my son who's training her. For me to trust in God fully, speaking from experience, I need to reject some things. So look at this. The, and, here's, and Proverbs 3 says it. Do not lean on your own understanding. You see, the man of God, we're talking about the man of God here, he strategically rejects himself. His will and his understanding of things and any person or, or entity that teaches him otherwise. So he learns to reject anything within him and without him 
that is teaching him something contrary to the word of God. Does this make sense? This is what he does. He purposely rejects. So, and here's what I'll tell you guys. Here's how I've lived my life. This is, this is how I've lived my life. I've looked at the majority of the world and I've done the opposite. I didn't live with my wife before I married her. I didn't have sex with my wife before I married her. I actually go to church. I actually give about 10% or more of my money away. I do everything opposite of the world. And it has served me well. It has served me so good. The majority <laughs> is usually wrong. I'm, I'm so tired of hearing Christians, if we can just win our country to Jesus, we're never going to win our country to Jesus. You're always going to be in the minority. You're always going to be surrounded by people that don't believe what you believe. And that's not a lack of faith position. That's a biblical position. Jesus said it. The gate is narrow. So we just have to realize that we're living in a world where there's a narrow gate. And we're surrounded all time. You know, I got all these friends of mine are moving out of Oregon, blah, blah, blah. And my wife's like, let's get the hell out of Oregon. Let's go to Arizona. I go, they just hired a, what, what? They're governor, what? I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to move. I have a relationship. I have friends here. And here's why I'm not going to move. Because we're supposed to be surrounded. We're supposed to be in the minority. I'm going to press a button and forgive me because it's, see if I can do it better than Isaac. This is a picture. See this guy right here? That guy's, can you, can, well, he's going to get the lights. That guy, now listen, that guy's name. Now I want to start with saying this. John Wesley stood at a whopping five foot three inches tall and he weighed 128 pounds. Wesley said something deeply impacted me. He said, give me 100 preachers who for nothing but sin desire nothing but God. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation of all men. In 2 Timothy chapter 12, Paul writes, For this reason I suffer for the th these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know in who I believe. This is August Landmesser in 1936. Nazi Germany had built a destroyer, and they were christening it, Adolf Hitler, is right here on the stage, and everybody here is saluting Adolf Hitler. Except for August Landmesser. Why? He was married to a Jewish woman. Shortly after this picture was taken, he was arrested, sent to the front lines where he was killed in action in 1936. Surely we can do that in America. Surely it's not that bad in America. That we can actually realize that we're in the minority. We can accept that with grace and then go on to win people to Jesus. The man of God realizes that he is, and this guy was only, he looks like an old guy there. He's 34 years old. So how old are you, John? 36? He's 34-year-old guy. He's a young guy. He's like, no, I'm not going to salute. I don't believe in that guy. That guy's, that guy's evil. And he was right but he was in the minority. You, Sean, you're back there going, man, I'm the only black guy in the room. You're the only black guy in the room, but you're not the only minority in the room. If you're a Christian, we're all, in, we're all minorities. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we, and better off we are, right? We have a pigment, different colored pigment, but we're all minorities if you believe in Jesus, okay? So, so that, that is what we have to reject. We have to reject ourselves, our self-will, and we have to reject anything or organization or any, 
any entity that teaches us otherwise. We have to purposely reject those things. So now we come to verse 6, and it talks about when we need to do all these things. The man of God does all these things. It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. The man of God acknowledges God by striving for 100% obedience every time. And I'm telling you, it is impossible. It ain't going to happen. But we strive nonetheless. Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press on for the goal to win the prize with Christ Jesus called me homeward. So we, we realize we aren't perfect, but we press on anyway. And I just really believe this, that there is no trust when there is no obedience. For me personally, when Yahweh says it, that settles it. When I hear the voice of God, that settles it for me. I, I try the best I can. Drive another day down the road. There's a hitchhiker. Picked him up. My wife's going, don't pick him up. I'm like, why? He should be afraid of me. I've got the gun here. Picked him up. Gosh, had a great opportunity. Great time with that guy sharing with him. Just a great, I mean, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and doing what he says. And when God speaks, we just respond. We, we just respond. And, and for me, uh, I don't know. You know, you guys have life verses. Do you have a death verse? Anybody have a death verse? Come on. I have a death verse. I know Mark's going, what? I have a death verse. You want to hear it? Now you're nerding out. I'm nerding out. I have a death verse. No, I'm not. Because in death, I'm never, in death, I am more fully alive than I've ever been. When I die, and I'm going to see Jesus face to face, he'll be the first face I see, I believe. It won't be St. Peter. It'll be Jesus. And I hope he says to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that's his part. So I have a life verse, and I'm going to say to him, Luke 17, 10. That's my, that's my, that's my death verse. Here it is. Ready? Jesus said, when you've done everything you've been asked to do, you are to say, we are unworthy servants. We've only but done what we've been told. My death verse. I've already got it, man. I've already got it. But I mean, I, and I'm, I'm not perfect, you guys, and I know none of us are, but man, if we can, man, I, I, I recently heard a heartbreaking story that really illustrates that death verse well for me. It, this is a true story. It's about a, a timber guy in the South. He had a little Jack Russell Terrier, went around with him everywhere. And this dog, you know, the dogs are so much better than cats. You treat a dog with love, it thinks you're God. You treat a cat with love, it thinks it's God, right? So, so he's got this little dog. Little dog thinks, you know, he's God, you know. And the dog obeyed him perfectly and did whatever he said. Well, he, he would sit the dog down. He would sit the dog down, and he would guard his lunch pail while he went to work. So one day he went to work with a little Jack Russell Terrier, watching that lunchbox. While he was at work, a forest fire erupted. He couldn't get back to his dog. The next day he came back and his little dog is laying there dead, charred to death, laying next to the lunchbox. And this big, tough lumber guy, weeping, said this, I always had to be careful of what I told him to do. I'm so for a stupid dog, I'm crying. Because I knew he would do it. He always had to be careful about what he asked him to do. And don't you hope that God looks at you and goes, man, I always, I just got to be careful what I tell Wander to do because I know he's going to do it. Stupid as it may be, he'll do it. I know whatever stone I tell stone to do, he's going to do it. Wouldn't, isn't that cool if God could say it of you? I got to be careful what I tell Todd Dignan to do because I know he's going to do it. To be like that little Jack Russell Terrier, man, wouldn't that be cool? Just to be like that. I don't know, that's me talking. So it's just, it's an... The man of God acknowledges God by striving for 100% obedience. And so 
This brings us to our last point, and it's why we do it. It says, and He will make your path straight. The man of God does it because he realizes that God's plan is better than his plan. And that God's ways are better than his ways. And God loves him more than he loves himself. And God loves his family more than he loves his family. Jeremiah 29.11, you know the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God's ways are not our ways. I think that's in Isaiah. I told you this story before I'm going to tell it again because it just ministered so deeply to me. My wife and I were in Greece for our 30th anniversary and we're at a little pastry shop. A lot of pastries there, a lot of cigarette smoking there. So everybody's having a pastry and a coffee and a cigarette. Just really weird to me. So we're sitting there speaking in our very awkward accents and this gal walks up, beautiful gal, blonde gal, pretty gal, about my age. She walks up to my wife and I and she says, hey, where do I go eat? Where do I go order? We go, oh, go in there. She goes, you're Americans? And we said, yeah, we are. So she came out, sat down. She told us her story for about an hour and a half. How her, and I, I've told this before, but she walked into the kitchen one night. She came home early from a business trip. Her husband's cooking dinner for his girlfriend. Kicks the husband out, divorces the husband, sells the house, takes the money, and goes, travels the world on a fake vaccine card. For two years, she'd been traveling in the alone here's this middle-aged beautiful blonde american woman traveling alone just uh, just trusting her own american woman's strength i guess her girl power but through a series of miracles she gives her life to jesus last march alone god revealed himself to her uh through a white stallion (laughs) several times in these miraculous kind of weird things she gives her life to jesus so she tells us this story. She has no idea about Jesus. She doesn't go to church. She has no clue about She's like, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm in my 50s. I have no idea what I'm doing. Blah, and we're, my wife and I are sitting there like, so I said, can we pray for you? She said, yes. I said, okay. So we laid hands on her, and I had my wife pray over her. I feel like that's more appropriate. So my wife prayed this beautiful prayer over her. We get done, and we're all misty. While we're praying, God gives me a Bible verse for her. And I said, I've got a Bible verse for you. She goes, oh, I don't know anything about the Bible. I, I, I don't even have a Bible. I got saved in March. I don't even, I'm just traveling without a Bible. I don't have, okay, yeah, what's, what, you know, give it to me. I said, well, it's an obscure verse in the Bible. It's in the book of Isaiah. And it says, it's Isaiah 30, 21. And it says, whether you turn to the left or to the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. She breaks down weeping, weeping, like weeping. She's like, you don't know what that verse means to me. I go, what are you talking about? She said, for the last month, I keep hearing this voice in my head saying the same thing over and over. And we're like, well, what is it? And she said, the voice keeps saying, just look to the left and to the right. Just look to the left and to the right. Can you believe that story? And it's just an illustration that God has your back. God loves you more than you ever could. His purposes are better than yours ever could be. And the man of God, you know, as we grow in our faith, we grow to trust in that. We trust in that, that bad report from a doctor. We trust in that when our, our kid has an accident. We trust in these things when our, our brother's having a, a psychological breakdown. We trust in those things we don't understand. And that's what the man of God does. He trusts in the Lord with all his heart. He does not lean on his own understanding. In all his ways, he acknowledges him 
and he directs his paths. Or some of your Bibles say, and he makes his path straight. Father, thanks for this time. Bless these men as they go to their groups. Help us to draw closer to you tonight. Help us to be encouraged that you have our back, and it's okay for us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.